0: Are you thinking about buying a franchise? How about buying an existing business for sale? Unsure where to start? This is Patrick Fandaro, co-founder at Vetted Biz. To date, we've advised hundreds of clients to invest in a franchise or business for sale in the United States. We'll be sharing best practices as long as with our guests, top franchisors, attorneys, and accountants to help you find, vet, and buy a business or franchise for your, you and your family's financial success. Stay tuned for this following podcast and follow our series if you're interested in learning more about exciting business opportunities and best practices to find, vet, and buy a business or franchise for sale. Hey, you have Patrick Fundaro here, co-founder at Vetted Biz and managing partner at Visa Franchise. At Vetted Biz, we help you find, vet, and buy a franchise or business for sale. At Visa Franchise, over the last five years, we've helped 350 plus entrepreneurs from across the globe find and analyze franchises that are eligible for all different types of investor visas, but mostly the E2 treaty visa. Today, I'm very excited to have on Marcelo Spinelli from Amazing Explorers Academy. We've known each other now for a few years. Um, and his brand and we've been able to follow his brand starting from one location to five locations open to now 10, 15 locations in development. and they're definitely pioneers in the early childhood education space. Marcelo and I will talk about different business models and opportunities to own the real estate, um, opportunities to lease the real estate for an early childhood education franchise. Uh, really excited to have on Marcelo Spinelli. Uh, He has an esteemed uh, career on Wall Street where he worked for 20 years or so at some of the largest financial institutions, Uh, and he has his undergrad degree from the number one business school in the U.S., uh, Warden School of University of Pennsylvania. Um, So we're going to talk about all different types of opportunities in the early childhood space. Different cities and states that Marcello um, thinks are, are well positioned uh, to take advantage of different demographic trends, uh, understanding how the preschool environment has adapted to COVID, uh, and all different types of opportunities in this early childhood education industry, which is booming. Um, again, this is Patrick Fundaro, those who are, are just joining now, co-founder at Vetted Biz and managing partner at uh, Visa Franchise. This is part of our Franchise Fridays series where I'm bringing on the founders of some of the fastest growing franchise systems across the, the U.S. And this ranges anywhere from education like today, insurance, uh, service brands, food, all different types of industries uh, in, in the umbrella of franchising. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and add on Marcelo uh, to kick off our Franchise Friday discussion today. Hey, Marcel, how are you doing?
1: Hey, Patrick, how are you? Good afternoon.
0: Well, thanks again for joining. Um, Perhaps you could just tell me a little bit, and just for the audience, how you got into the preschool space. You spent some time on Wall Street, you're originally from Brazil. Maybe just tell me a little bit about your background and how you got into this arena.
1: Yeah, uh, thank you for um, allowing us to participate of your business. Uh, This is a pleasure. also, knowing you and 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 your brother for a long time, and developing this business, congratulations. Um, yeah. So, so I um after school uh, after um uh University of Pennsylvania, I ended up in Wall Street. It was something that I always had a passion for, and I lasted about twenty years there. In two thousand fourteen, I decided to quit and and change things around a little bit. I thought that. What, what I was doing is very interesting, but you know, you kind of after 20 years are losing steam or you're looking for new opportunities and things that are more interesting. And um, in Wall Street in 2014, I decided to take a break like a sabbatical uh, in the beginning. And I ended up going to um, to Asia, studying a little bit of Buddhism and trying to do something that added value to society and understand how it would do that. So Things kind of unfolded um, in a great manner for me because um, by around mid-2014, my brother called me and said, listen, I have an opportunity I think we should pursue. There is this uh, person that understands about preschool and wants to, to build a brand. And um, so I you know, I spent almost, um, almost nine months in, in Asia, came back. I sat with them here in, in Florida, had the meeting, and I started, you know, uh, researching.
0: And was uh, your brother living in Orlando at the time?
1: Yeah, him and this person were living in Orlando at the time. And I said, well, I'm going to meet them. I'm going to come to Orlando. I was living in New York City. And I said, let me understand more about the opportunity. And like, I started researching. Look at the numbers. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's a very interesting business. Uh, The matter of the fact is, if you look at the financial markets, there's really only one company that you can look at. There's not a sector. There's not a lot of companies. And when you look at education, it's, you know, there's definitely a large difference between uh, the different segments. So I I quickly began uh, researching uh, that segment of education preschool and I fell in love with it. You know, not only because I'm a financial guy and I love the numbers, but also it was more in line with what, what I was doing. Um, and then I ended up, you know, so, uh, we, we, we kind of founded the company in 2000, 2014. We started. So when you invest-
0: came, was it, did you rebrand it? Like what, what was the initial company in 2014? What did it look no, like? It was, it was, it was zero. zero.
1: What zero. we did was a ton of research. We, we okay. gathered and we, we, we hired a bunch of PhD psychologists, architects, and a lot of different people to help us brainstorm of what we were gonna to put together. One of the yeah. things that we studied was the STEAM education, which was not in preschools at that time. And we mm-hmm. didn't understand why not. And um, as you know, during the Obama administration, there was a, a very large effort and large expenditures in that yeah. sector for very good reasons, and uh, mm-hmm. which we will get in. But, um, but um, that's- uh, And really- had you worked with your brother before? no we never worked together no we okay. had so we went separate paths.
0: you you were in new york he was in brazil mostly and then florida
1: yes we we invest in different things together but overall we never really worked hand in hand together so so it's a great experience um so then i ended up move, moving uh to florida from new york city and uh you know we started um kicking the tires and started yeah. creating a brand with all these people that we hired and money that we spend, we just wanted to understand the basic research is what are we going to create and why. And we sure. thought there was a, a, a clear gap in terms of STEAM education at the preschool level, right? And, um, and that's how I got into it. And that's I just fell in love with it and, you know, went full force 100% into this business.
0: So what we've seen at Vetted Biz is that the market's growing a lot in education and early childhood education. I don't need to tell you that, uh, <laughs> but there's been a lot of investments from institutional investors, private equity, uh, family offices, um, and also, you know, a lot of money going into online education, different uh, different platforms. But, you know, preschool is, you know, traditionally a brick and mortar type business, uh, and it is still growing quite a lot. Uh, It'd be good just to hear from you, you know, a little more overview of this sector and what what attracted you to be in it and and for the next, you know, large part of your career.
1: Yeah, so so it's a you're absolutely right. There's been a ton of investments in education, and I think it's one of the sectors that are uh, uh, um, most important for our future. Right. So. Um, the industry is uh, pretty large and, and there's a, a, a misconception that this is a, a tiny business right you're talking about a 55 billion dollar business um, you know about two so million just early old. childhood just early childhood yep and
0: how, what, how do you define it? it's basically before kindergarten five years yeah. and younger
1: zero to four years old when they zero they, to they preschool and then they go to kindergarten they, okay. We don't have kindergarten in our schools. It's just zero to five education. So it, it's a pretty large market. If you look, about two million people work in this market t- mm. today, right? So um, it, it's 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 been growing, and because of major what's factors, driving the growth. Well, you, there, there's a um, uh, multiple number of factors um, uh, like uh, women. Um, In the labor force the participation of women in labor force has increased um, dramatically Um, you have number of births as well that's continuous and growing Um, you have government spending which they recognize the need to uh, fund uh, these programs in certain states you have funding for the three and four year old kids which the preschools receive part of their funding. it's like a voucher that's given by the government to the parents, and they can use that as form of payment. Also, um, you know, other drivers are disposable income, uh, which has been growing for the last uh, you know ten years or more. Um, national unemployment rate as well. Um, now with COVID, things got a little bit different, but you know, for, for the past uh, years, we've seen that that developing uh, positively. And also the most important one. I think for this industry, is the importance of early child uh, child care development and the impact. Yeah,
0: what the benefits? Because you have some people that just um, one of the spouses will take some time off work, a sabbatical to take care of the kid, or hire a nanny. So, why? Yeah, why is it why is it important to focus on the educational aspect
1: from zero to four? So that's um, that's kind of what we worked on to understand what the real impact and how we would add value to, to everyone from children to the country. So um, there's a, a gentleman named uh, James Heckman uh, from the University of Chicago. He's a Nobel Prize winner and created a lot of research in econometrics, kind of um, understanding the impacts of early childhood education. Um, so so some of the I'll tell you some of the findings and some of the research are, are quite interesting. And, and he, he says that, um, first of all, after analyzing these kids for decades, um, it provides a more stable um, home for their kids. Uh, you have a higher completion of high school. You have lower rates of addiction and arrest and crime.
0: Wow.
1: Um, um, most of these kids that go to preschool, they're inclined to have a full time job or be self-employed, be an entrepreneur. And he calculated the return on investment to be about 13 percent per year um, return um, per, per, you know, if, if we invest in children. So there are significant results in, in better uh, behavior, education, help, employment, you know, uh, versus not attending the, uh, such a program. So yeah, the, are- two,
0: two, you, the kids age two or three years old, I mean, it's going to have it's going to change their life and the opportunities that open up or close.
1: Yeah, so you have to think of how we wire their brains. Um, literally, like, it's like riding a bicycle. I'm trying to think of an analogy here. It's like riding a bicycle. You learn it in an early age, and then it's kind of embedded in you, right? That's how you wire someone's brain. And, and these kids, when they're like one and a half or two-year-olds, they're already, you know, you give them an iPad, they can go through, put the code in, go in. We never thought they would be, um, capable of doing those things so we we definitely have to wire them these kids properly from beginning because it will help them um, ride their bicycle or with balance equilibrium etc later on it's kind of a, the analogy i think of right so you know multiple studies have been out there and and as 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 time goes by we, we find more of them which are uh, interesting um you know you have the journal of american medicine um they, they say that um, uh, they, they, they followed these kids for 25 years and, and um, uh very tied uh, correlation to success. Uh, Cornell University, one of the major universities in the U.S., they say that for every dollar spent in the child care sector, it equates to a broader uh, statewide economic impact of about two dollars. That's the double. Right. So um, th- there's a number of factors here that that are positive. There was also a study from uh, Frank Porter Graham Child Development Center uh, that long-term achievements in education, cognitive skills, language ability, math skills, grade retention, and social engagement are long-term effects actually of, of being in a childcare program. So when, when like just going back a little bit is when we um, initially started looking at this, we were very excited about the fact that we can could change Children's lives.
0: Yeah, it's huge. Yeah. And, you know, recent election, um, how do you see Joe Biden's policy and his administration affecting Amazing Explorers Academy and the larger industry?
1: Well, I'm not a... I won't uh, delve into politics. Sure. But I believe um, both presidents and the, but both... Um, Presidents, uh, you know, either Trump or Biden are capable of understanding the importance of education and continue with the program. Um, Trump did some increases in expenditures for for uh, these programs. And I believe and I, I did have a conversation with someone that's from uh, 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 Biden's administration
0: Right.
1: Understanding that for them as well. It's something that they're going to pursue. I don't know exactly how things are going to change, but I I do believe there will be more uh, investments in education. And I think that's just a natural tendency of things. You know, the country is only good as 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 the people that are here and how educated they are. Bottom line.
0: Yeah, it's largely a service-based economy, and it's not agricultural like many years back where education maybe doesn't matter as much.
1: Yeah, so we have three level. We think of three levels of education, right? Manufacturing to a service to an intellectual. And I think we're moving to the intellectual, and for that, we need to be prepared.
0: Oh, yeah. And tell me a little bit about the competitive landscape like I alluded to it you have some alternatives even some churches I believe um, that offer preschool early childhood education services
1: what's the competitive landscape like so um, there are daycares which let, let's categorize what is a daycare daycare is basically exactly. you leave your child without education and then a preschool is naturally where you you embed some form of curriculum and you teach kids and you develop kids, right? There's a a development uh, component. Um, In the United States, you're talking about um, 670,000 schools, right? Um, And I would say that about 50%, 65% of them are large daycares, right? So you're talking about a $55 billion industry um there is competition but the market's extremely fragmented um you know they don't represent five percent the top preschools and the larger preschools um it, it, it are just a, a small factor of the market so there's a huge frag uh, uh um, you know the market's fragmented and there's really low market concentration
0: so when you uh, for example when you open up a preschool like are the students say it's a four year old that was already at some type of early childhood, uh, daycare or preschool, um, where are they coming from?
1: Well, um, there's a a natural strategy to that. If we're in developed neighborhoods versus, um, you know, breakout neighborhoods, right? Breakout neighborhoods. It's like, let's think of, um, having AT&T in your cell phone and Verizon, Right, if you have AT and T and Verizon, and you don't really understand, and you're in, you're going to say, "Why am I going to change to AT and T?" It's going to be a, a large battle. That's kind of the developed market situation. You have to kind of.
0: Explore. So you're opening up in like in a in a nice area of like New York City, Manhattan. You're going to go. That's more the developed market, and then the other market is nice upper middle income in Orlando or Dallas or some growth. Exactly. Is
1: that it? exactly. So so in a market like, um, you know, uh, let's talk about New York, we're looking at uh, Long Island City to open a school there. Right. Okay. Um, there, it, it's kind of a tricky situation because when we looked at it, we see the outflows of people in New York. Obviously, the school is not open now. The school will be open in 18 months or, or sure. 14 months. So at that stage, we look at COVID, right? Where are we gonna be at COVID? Do we, do, do we believe that uh, this pandemic will somewhat uh, be curtailed, right? And how would that impact the schools and education on that side and the migration of people back towards Long Island City, right? So um, we looked at that and, and more importantly, we look at competition, Sure. right? So what is the quality of the schools around that area? And how do, how do our proposition compare to others, right? And then that's where we see where the value is. Um, obviously, we, like we're the uh, owner of the brand, so I'm going to say, you know, I believe ours is better. But we are focused on STEAM, science, technology, engineering, arts, and math. That's the core concept. And we do have an emotional intelligence program that we do. Uh, uh, um, partner up with, uh, which some guys from Yale. And I think that, you know, that's our focus is educating these kids. Um, we're not in the business just to grow, just to grow, to make money. We really want to make an impact. And I think, um, you know, with that, when we look at New York city and we, I mean, uh, Long Island city, we definitely see a potential, um, uh, for our brand there. And, and that's why we're looking at, despite what's happening right now, we have to time things. We have to look at competition. We have to look at pricing. You know, there's, there's a number of factors demographically that we have to look at, but uh, we do uh, uh, long studies uh, uh, to, to assess that.
0: And talking before we get more into Amazing Explorers Academy, what, what are the returns like uh, in your industry?
1: Uh, okay. So I, yeah, I can tell you in the industry, they are, um, you know, as I said, you're looking at, um, you know, $55 billion industry with profits of 5.2 billion. They're running about nine and a half percent. Uh, there definitely was a decrease from the last few years. If you look a couple of years ago, the, the margins instead of nine and a half, but they, they, they are now, they were about 14%. Right. Obviously, COVID had a huge impact and there was a, a large number of st- schools which were not prepared. Mostly the mom and pops. Right. That were not structured properly or, you know,
0: I talked to one recently one. in the Miami area. Their enrollment was down 40 percent and they're just getting slammed.
1: Yeah, that was average, um, was about 40 percent. But a lot of them couldn't withstand um you know, the turmoil, they weren't prepared financially. They never, you know, a lot of these mom and pops are spending a hundred percent of the money every month. They, they live paycheck right, to paycheck right. and they never really think of, you know, let me preparing let me for a rainy day. Go, right? Yeah. Let's, let's, let's give you some form of budgeting. Let's put some form of budgeting practice, uh, best practices, you know? So that, that's, we, we spend a lot of time thinking about and how to implement that from technology to, to everything in our business, and and that's what we proposed in all our schools. It's a, a pretty much cookie cutter format, um, uh, so that we're 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 standardized. There are no idiosyncrasies uh, in a in one of the schools or you know any of the units. Um, so, besides the STEAM
0: program and the focus on that, what also differentiates you from some of these very large early childhood education brands that. Might be publicly traded or have like 400 locations across the US.
1: Yeah. So I, I think, um, you know, uh, um, STEAM is is a big differential that we started prior to to everyone, actually. We were yeah. um, somewhat of the pioneers.
0: You taught uh, me what the word meant. I think it was like yeah. four
1: years ago. <laughs> yeah, science, technology. I had <laughs> heard of
0: STEM, but never yeah. STEAM. It,
1: yeah, they had STEM, yeah. And and the art component is extremely important. And that, that's something yeah. I would like to, you know, just, just tell you about. I think it's important for everyone to know. The art component came up on our research because uh, the United States was falling behind in terms of math and science. So we did some research. We found that, um, uh, that, that about um, when students reached third grade, about one-third of the kids lost interest in science, And then by the time they reach high school, about 40 some percent of the kids uh, were not prepared for for college level math and about 30 some percent of them were not prepared for uh, for science. Um, And we found out that a lot of it has to do with creativity. And now we move a little bit backwards is how do you kill creativity by standardized testing, by memorization, by other uh, methods which are not. Um, positive or constructive for your brain. Uh, and that's, I mean, that's known today in neuroscience. You know, that's why we have games and the fun ways of learning things rather than drilling um, something. So I think the, you know, in, in our brand, we're extremely innovative, right? <clears throat> we do have, we're, we're extremely focused on steam and emotional intelligence. That's our core. And that's what you're going to need for the 21st century. Uh, we're continuously evolving, um, we have greater transparency. Our schools have videos, um, a lot of glass, so you can see visibility through everything. Um, so we, we also, if you look at the architecture, we're not a little daycare house. We're a science center. Um, it is like, if, you, if we thought about it since the beginning, it's like we had the architects thinking about, you know, psychologists and architects saying, okay, you need something that's inviting for the children. So in the front of the school, it's all glass. There's um, yeah. a multi-purpose room with, like, you know, some have um, spaceships, some have other uh, attractive uh, features that where these kids learn to entice the kids to go in, and not a little door with a little window and etc. <laughs> thought of everything from from beginning to end before we we ventured in in, in our expansion. You're phase.
0: Talking a little bit about the facility. So I understand um, most centers have 100 to 200 students. Um, that's some of the very large franchise brands. Uh, how's the capacity for Amazing Explorers Academy? Because I understand it comes a lot more profitable closer you get to 200.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, that's Yeah, most of these um, larger franchise brands, they're run, running around the 150, 200 range. You hardly see a school with... 400, 500, I haven't seen one yet. Um, they all run into that capacity for a number of factors, you know. But we um, have prototypes, and as you go into from the urban to the suburban, the numbers change, right? Obviously. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, like Long Island City, you're talking about 140 students. Our models in Florida, they all carry 200 capacity. Oh, okay. So it's it's around how much, how much
0: per student when you look at Florida compared to like Long Island City?
1: Yeah, so uh, it's it's bizarre, but it goes along with pricing as well. But there's some advantages um, in Florida. The average is about a thousand dollars a month per child, full time okay. student. In Long Island City, it's about three thousand. That's the industry average or Amazing Explorers? Well, the 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 top tiered programs sure. are around that much yeah. or a little bit more or slightly less. Yeah. Right. And um, and New York City is three thousand dollars. Yeah. Long yeah. Island City,
0: three thousand dollars a month.
1: Yeah. If you wow like a couple years ago you would look at New York City and you could have some programs at five thousand. Right. Okay. So so the cost are more because the real estate's more and etc. But there's some advantages because you know the real estate cost could be twice, but you know your employee cost is a little bit more but in the end your tuition could be three times more so yeah. there's some advantages for margin um if we analyze it closely and we do a lot of that like we do a lot a lot of due diligence to make sure that we'll hit um our you know our desired margins
0: that makes sense yeah. and then how many jobs per location from visa franchise we have some folks that are applying for different types of, of visas but For them as well as American investors, some of them want to know, like how many people are going to be managing at the end of the day.
1: Yeah, so um, you know, with um, I would say that we we have capacities, different capacities. If you go from a school of 100 kids to a school of 200 kids, right? 200 kids, which is our norm, employs about uh, 40 people, Hmm. right? So it's a lot of jobs. Um, And going back to what I was saying is like the schools are not larger. Because it's a lot to deal with 200 children already, it's, uh, I think it's the optimal size uh, sure. uh, you know, for chaos.
0: <laughs> that makes sense. And then um, in terms of your brand, I know that you've opened up different op- opportunities, but you have one that a franchisee coming in can uh, develop and own the land uh, and the physical property that the preschool sits in. And then another one would be the built-to-suit (BTS) model. Mm-hmm. Uh, could you talk a little bit about these two two models?
1: Yeah. So um, when we look at a, a project, um, th- there's, you know those are the two types you can. So if you are going to Long Island City, you can't buy the building. You have to uh, uh, naturally you have to uh, lease or rent the location. The um, a lot of times what we do as 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 the brand is. We try to negotiate a pricing for a turnkey solution for the franchisee or for the project, right? So when the landlord gives you a lease, that lease already incorporates everything you need into the school, except the FF&E. So, you know, that takes about a year, 12 months to develop because the building is there. All you need is to really build uh, is a retrofit. So... Uh, For the grounds up, it's a little bit different. Um, You know, we have to identify the land, which um, we do a lot of demographic work um, using a lot of tools, uh, mobile data, everything. And um, we look at these things and and have to, literally they take a little bit longer from anywhere minimum 14 months to 18 months uh, to develop a site. I think that... You know, it really depends. The capital requirement to to do a BTS, obviously, is lower than one to own sure. the real estate because, yeah, you're renting something. You don't have to buy it. So I would say it's, you know, uh, I would say it's half, you know, 50%. So you're talking about, you know, a project, and, and this is standardized. If you look at the major brands, you're talking someone that wants to own the land and do the whole project. They're going to spend anywhere from, depending where, uh, you know, Eight hundred thousand to a million two, and the guys that are doing In cash, yes, yes, investments um, for the because these projects naturally the build to suit, uh, um, sorry, the the grounds up is a could be a four, three four million dollar project exactly. building,
0: and right? then the rest generally General. they do SBA financing.
1: Yes, we are approved by the SBA. We have our our FDD with the SBA it's 100% approved um, and and so so naturally um, you know with the SBA you might be able to put a lower percentage down right as you yeah. know yes.
0: generally 30% but i've seen some as low as 15% yeah i seen
1: 10, 15 yeah i seen 10 15 so if you're doing a 400 a 4 million dollar project you're talking about it could be 4 400,000 Five hundred thousand yeah. dollars, which could be very viable if they qualify for that. Obviously, that's a decision of the SBA and and, their and then own And
0: do you do you disclose like the performance, like in terms of EBITDA or basically
1: what the owner is going to make from
0: from their investment?
1: So um, we cannot by law. Yeah. We can give them uh, general market figures, and they can do their research, um, or hire someone to to do the research sure. for them. Right? Do you
0: guys still disclose in your FDD the, the financials for one of the corporate locations?
1: Um, we we did. We okay. we have um, we have uh, the item nine item nineteen of the FDD discloses the financial information, and you can get some. You know, you can run some parallels to that. Sure, but it's it's quite of a. If you look at the profit margins of the industry, this is how I would look at it in a very uh, simple manner. You look at the profit margins of the industry. I I said they're running about, the whole market's running about 10%. 10%. If you operate well, I would guess you can make, you know, probably 15, 20% net profit margin. So if you're making, you know, if these schools are, if you're charging a a student $1,000 and you have 200 students, that's $200,000 a month, right? 2.4 million in the end, you might be making ten to twenty percent. That's okay. a real rough and simple way to think about it. You know, how well you so operate. Ten
0: percent on the low end and then you go all the way up to twenty percent if it's really well optimized.
1: Yeah. I mean I've seen better than twenty percent, but you have yeah. to operate well and, and and make sure you're you know, hands on the the, the school, you know. But and what what would you do, you know, looking between the build
0: to suit versus actually owning the, the real estate?
1: Well, you mean my uh, suggestion for uh, someone that would like the prospective
0: franchisee or if you were in the franchisee shoes?
1: Well, what I would do is I would try to see where the financing is. I would do, I would think of both. I would say, okay, if I do a BTS, what are my costs? If I go to the SBA, what's going to be my capital required, right? So as we said, if I need, you know, four or five hundred grand to do a BTS cash to have some cash or and if I need four hundred to build and build and have the real estate no, company, I would do the real estate. It's a no brainer, yeah. right? So so it really depends on a little bit of research. And we can help with that. I mean we have okay. some SBA people. I think you you guys probably have some too. Yeah. Con- we have some great and, contacts. Uh, Yeah and, and and those are the people you would go to. It's very simple. You send them the documentation you send, we have the whole entire project and you know, it's just a matter of, of underwriting to make a decision.
0: And then, you know, tell me a little bit about what regions. So we're both based in Florida. We're, we're here in Miami, you're in Orlando. I visited a couple of your sites in, in central Florida, but tell me a little bit about where you, what markets you're currently in and where you want to grow.
1: Yeah. So um, we're in Florida. Florida right now as you said like there's a, a school opening in Texas very shortly um, and we're
0: in Texas again
1: I think it's Austin okay uh, close to Austin yeah so um, we, we we really have to understand um, you know it's important to understand the trends propelled by covid right what's happening to the to the states today people are working remotely there's a huge dependence on technology. So I, what we've seen is a, a, a very clear migration from, let's say, roughly speaking, from the north to the south or from the west to to Texas and to Florida and to North Carolina and to Georgia. State, yeah. yeah. So so to understand that, that's how we, um, you know, the, the, so this serious migration is an important factor where we're going to place these schools, right? Um, and it's evident that Florida, North Carolina, Georgia and these other states are benefiting from these moves. I mean, you've seen uh, Goldman Sachs might be moving their whole entire uh, asset management division to to Palm Beach or West Palm Beach, right? I mean, it makes a quarter of the profits of Goldman. So, I mean, it's, it's some some I mean, that's very important. You can be talking about a lot of people. Goldman employs about 40,000 people today. Could be a significant move. So I mean, all these, um, these locations I mentioned, these states I mentioned, are, are benefiting from from this this change in trend. Uh, so we're trying to 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 look, to, to uh, position ourselves properly um, in places that are going to be easy for us, right? Naturally, I don't want to build something in, I don't know, in in Alaska or you know, or I don't know, Hawaii. It's Hawaii. I mean, even Long Island City is tough. But yeah. we are, it, it's kind of a different situation where we, we, you know, we're negotiating a lease that could have a lot of value for a long term. So it really depends. I mean, it's, it's all a matter of uh, uh, due diligence and, and, and assessing everything. So, but naturally, uh, North Carolina, Georgia, and Florida um, are, are close reach. And sure. it's easy for us to, you know, an hour away flight to, to be there and to have our people flying back and forth if needed. Uh, until we establish a team in these locations, right?
0: And what type of franchisee are you looking for? I understand you first started more with growing corporate locations for a few years, and then now you're bringing on franchisees. What's the ideal franchisee?
1: So, you know, we, all of the things that we're doing right now, most, I mean, I say all, are joint ventures, corporate locations, right? Um we are starting to obviously to um, to 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 speak to uh, franchisees and see opportunities where they would fit uh, the franchisee I mean the you know basically what a franchisee is doing what we've seen is they're purchasing a job right so so in reality us having schools that we can sell that are operating at lower risk they're already making money will be an option and we could be developing with have you know 10 to 20 of these. Uh, on the other hand, there will be franchisees that are entrepreneurs, right? That's Those true. are the people that are, I think they're interesting, you know, people that understand about research.
0: Develop a couple of schools, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, like an area development or something like that. But um, a, a franchisee is basically someone that, you know, we would look at someone that has an entrepreneurial, um, entrepreneurial skills, uh, good in research, good in people, right? You're managing people, you're dealing with people. So your emotional skills are important. Your management skills are important. Um, You know, you need to be flexible for the training to understand how you need to implement the programs and everything. And so, you know, basically someone that that has experience. You know, I wouldn't say you're going to get a kid out of college and start a franchise. I think it's a little bit off. But I'd say people, professionals, you know, there's a wide range.
0: Sure. And is there a minimum like net worth and then capital requirement that you would look for in a prospective franchisee?
1: That's a very good question. And it fluctuates because if I it kind were, of like an
0: area too, right?
1: Yeah. So so I mean if I was a franchisee and I went to the SBA and I applied to buy and build a ground location and they said, you know, this guy has a great resume. We're gonna we're gonna approve him. I mean you could have, you know, I don't know, 500 grand, you know, of mm-hmm. net worth. It depends on the SBA's underwriting, who's underwriting, um, you know, um, it really depends. Now, when you do a BTS, the person that is buying the land, building the building and spending all that money, he will want some form of, you know, structure, some form of guarantees. Normally, he requires someone with about a million dollars in net worth. Right, so okay. we have a bunch of partners that do that that we qualified. We also negotiate to make sure that the the, the lease rates are proper because, in the end, uh, this is a franchise. We we need to maintain the health of our franchisees that they're making money, that the margins are hitting properly. Have you ever
0: closed the location?
1: No, never. Oh, okay, far away from. Thanks, thank God. Great. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I mean, COVID was a, a tough time. We were. We got.
0: Tell me a little bit about how Amazing Explorers has adapted with COVID, and we had talked about forty percent decrease in enrollments with a lot of your competitors. But what mm-hmm. have you seen with
1: the Amazing Explorer locations? That, that's about right. When um, COVID hit in the end of March, um, it was a panic attack, right? Sure. Nobody wanted to go anywhere. It was like let's let's hide. Um, but throughout the months, we not only recuperated what we had lost, and we exceeded what we had done in the same um, time frame. Huh. We did open a school three months ago, right, during COVID, and we were profitable on the first month of operation.
0: No way. Wow. That,
1: that is, like, incredible. That's yeah. uh, really, like, I thank my team and, and the people involved because without them, like, you know, they, they really – figured out how to live and how to operate during COVID, you know, difficult times. So I think this is the, I think COVID was a, a, is a terrible experience for all of us, but we try to, to absorb the best of it is saying like, we've been challenged and we were forced to learn how to operate and how to do things in a very difficult environment.
0: For sure. Have you seen any studies like in terms of like the emotional and 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 intellectual capability and and of the kids that are not in basically are not doing anything and aren't socializing compared to the ones that continue in preschool and receiving education?
1: Well, Amazing Explorers is a is um is a very new program, right? We really started in 2014, but the school started a little bit later. Um, We definitely relied on the studies that I mentioned before from James Heckman, from Cornell University, uh, Frank Porter, and these things that have shown uh, a significant, um, um, you know, positives um, to these kids. They analyze kids, you know, 10, 20 years later. So, I mean, it's it's incredible um, how important it is to uh, put your child in in an early learning program that's structured, you know, not just a daycare and keep the kid in there. Obviously, not all programs are the same, right? And and if you look at what's happening in the world, um, you know, you're 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 definitely seeing that um there is a necessity for steam. Look at Elon Musk, right? Today, anyone that looks at Elon Musk today says. Uh, he really stands out as a creator, innovator, uh, someone that breaks barriers, right? For sure. It's he's probably started. the Yeah, he's probably Many the number one or, Yeah, I mean, he's probably the number 1 or top That's innovator cool. in the world today, right? So now what you have to think of is we need to create little uh, we need to create Elon Musks for the future. And not Elon Musk when I mean that, I mean people that are better than what Elon Musk is today because the future is going to be dramatically changed. You know, uh, less 100 years, we looked at linear growth. Today, we're looking at exponential growth. And this says nothing never happened before. So for that, we need to prepare our kids to face what they're going to face in, you know, in the next 10, 20 years, 100% of the jobs are going to be gone. And it's not going to be gone like the other revolutions. It's going to be drastically gone. I mean, people have to have the skills to be prepared for the future. And now we go back to, you know, we need to wire these kids properly. And that starts at an early age.
0: So you mentioned the emotional intelligence and then on the science and tech side, could you elaborate a little more?
1: Yeah. So we have, um, our, our programs are, 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 you know, focused on the standardized curriculum, obviously, or else, um, You know, I can't do what Elon Musk did and create his own school and do whatever curriculum he wanted. Um, But they also are enhanced by STEAM for um, science, technology, engineering, arts and math. Um, So it's kind of an enrichment program around the core program, right? So for that, um, uh, in the beginning of the conversation, I said that we had architects, psychologists, everyone thinking about it, we created a, a room that's only for that it's it's called the multi-purpose room it's called the steam room right mm-hmm. the kids go in and they get uh, a full hands-on exposure to to steam and every school it's it's very important like every school um, of our schools amazing explorers has a director an edu a director that takes care of the school an education director and it has a steam. Hmm. Um, uh, a person, uh, a kind of a director that really is focused on steam because we need to, to, to make sure that we're, you know, we're, we're providing that education uh, to the kids at its fullest potential.
0: Marcelo. So, you know, concluding thoughts, I mean, it's you've said it well in terms of not, linear growth, but it's going to be exponential for the coming years. And our kids need to be prepared for that. Any other closing thoughts you might have?
1: Yeah. I mean, um, you know, the, the, the interesting, I, mean, I just want to conclude with thinking about, you know, vetted business, us and, and the kids in the future. Um, the, the preschool business, when you look at it, it's kind of a bricks and mortar business. Everyone, as you said, is investing in ed tech and, you know, the technology oriented education and, and other, um, um, uh, you know, segments like that. Um, I feel that as being part of this business and being completely entrenched in the business, that it will take a long time for something to drastically happen in this small little niche business. Why? When we look at um, this all this trend about online learning, and you know, you have kids in elementary school, middle school, high school. This has sometimes worked, sometimes not. It never worked for preschools. Never ever. It's impossible. You get a two-year-old or a three-year-old or a four-year-old <laughs> or, or, or or a four-week. I heard
0: they can focus work. for two minutes on a screen. It's and impossible. You won't be able to work.
1: You will be you will be working with the kids. And you probably don't have the skills necessary to teach that kid, or you won't know how to follow the curriculum, prepare for the curriculum, et cetera. So something uh,
0: probably probably have another job too, you're focused on. Yeah,
1: exactly. It's impossible to do another job. So so concluding our our, our our discussion here is it's still a very viable business. It's still a very important business for the future of this country and for the kids, the whole spectrum, right? And it's still a very valuable business and, and lucrative business because we need it, you know sure. and, and the drivers are, sure. and, and the drivers are there. you know these drivers are there, more women are going to work. You know more funding is going to go into education. We need more and more education. We have four million births a year. We have to you know create space for these kids to learn. We have to create schools and etc. So I think it's just um. You know, it's definitely yeah, where you
0: I was. struck it um, a point for us. Like, it's a necessary good that you know you have renewable revenue in terms of getting the payment every month. And we, I've brought on um, hosts of, uh, I've brought on other franchisors in the insurance space, mm-hmm. barbershops. shops, um, and I definitely think there is a strong parallel with what you're doing at Amazing Explorers Academy and that renewable necessary need.
1: Yeah. Our, our, our revenues are extremely recurring. That's yeah, important. yeah, it's, it's for you us. Can it's,
0: grass, you can plan, opening up another one when you have that constant revenue
1: base. Yeah. It's, it's um, definitely expendable.
0: Well, it's great, Marcel. Thanks so much for, for joining today. For those that are participating or if you're listening uh, to recorded version on our podcast or on YouTube or another channel, Um, I'm going to leave the contact information so you can enter into contact with Marcelo. Um, And then the process, a member from his team will send additional information about franchise opportunities with Amazing Explorers Academy and see if it's a good fit for you investing in this early childhood education opportunity. Again, um, it was a pleasure to have on Marcelo, the principal co-founder at Amazing Explorers Academy. Um, If you found this informative, share it with your friends, like us on social media, like YouTube, LinkedIn, and I hope you enjoyed this uh, video and recording. Thanks.
1: Thank you very much, Patrick. Appreciate it.